Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, that despite what it seems at times, this whole world and each one of us belong to you. So, Lord, I just invite your Holy Spirit to come into this place, Father, that you fill this room, that you fill each one of us, Lord, and that, that my words would be of some use to your kingdom, Lord, and that it would be you speaking through me and that I would just stay out of your way. So, Father God, whatever's on this paper, I pray that you, you let whatever comes out of my mouth come out of my mouth from you. Lord, we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, most of you know we've spent some time in Southeast Asia uh, serving um, in Thailand and in Burma. And so, um, as I share today, I'm going to bring in some of the just different aspects of life uh, serving at times in the jungle, at times in the towns and cities and villages and whatever. But um, So, I want to start uh, reading Matthew 25. 1 through 13. Matthew 25, 1 to 13. And it says, at, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins, who were ready, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And so as I was reading this, um, I always like to pay special attention anytime I see something about the kingdom. And it's, it's throughout Scripture all the time. But it says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Right? So as we progress through, we see this story of those who are prepared and wise versus those that are foolish. They all fell asleep. Right? They fell asleep on the watch. But it was those who met the bridegroom, right? Those that started a relationship with him, those are the ones who entered. And those who didn't were cast out. And I wondered, as I'm reading this, I wonder how many times I've missed the really good things of God because I wasn't prepared. Right? I wasn't thinking with a kingdom mindset. And so the thought that just kept coming as I'm reading this is, is am I, are we ready for what's next? And I think for me, as, as I read this, and I live here, and we live in the times that we live in, 
and the political situation that we have, I don't know if there's ever been a more intense spiritual battle in the heavenly realm than what's happening right now. Right? And so for me, I feel God calling me to a different way of living than I even I've lived in the past of preparation. Right? Because I, I honestly do not believe it's going to get easier for the people of faith that it is going to get harder. Maybe we see some persecution. Maybe the Lord comes back. We don't know. But the thought that keeps going is, am I ready for what's next? And I think if our eyes could actually see the battleground that surrounds us, right, the spiritual realm that is, that is around us all the time, but we kind of tend to forget that it's happening. If we could see that, I'm not sure we'd ever get off our knees. Like, I firmly believe that. And I, I was raised Southern Baptist, and so I was, like, that was kind of weird stuff over there that people talk about, and we didn't really talk about that. It wasn't something we were taught. And, uh, and it took maybe five, six, seven years of being in Thailand where the spiritual darkness is a very real and oppressive thing for me to realize this isn't a game, right? All those things that we read in Scripture, it's all here. Right? And I feel like in this country, Satan's very subtle. Right? He does what he does in subtle ways. He, he undermines things. He lets things collapse. He, he's not in your face. But I had an experience with actually Jocelyn and Keith Peterson and a group of people from Friends Church had come over, and we were in a small village um, out on the border. And it's literally one of the darkest, like literally physically darkest places I've ever been. Like, at night, I would hang a little flashlight around my neck because you would wake up and you literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And so my brain kind of panics, like, am I awake or am I asleep? I don't really know, and I'd turn the light on. Oh, okay, I'm awake. And in one of those nights as we're sleeping in this village, um, and I've never had this happen before or after, I woke up at 3 in the morning with every single hair on my body standing on end. And in this pitch blackness, all I could see was this glowing face of a demon in front of me, right? And so this is, this is crazy for me, right? This is not how I was raised. I know it's a thing. I've never had it happen like this before, right? And the only thing that would come out of my mouth in my stupor at 3 a.m. is Jesus wins, right? And the moment I said the name Jesus, that apparition was gone, and of course, I turned on my flashlight and like, oh, okay, that wasn't a dream, that was real, right? But that was when God began to show me this is not a game, right? In Asia, in Thailand, in Burma, the darkness is like, I mean, I've told stories of very real things that happened and had even my own brother at one point call me a liar. <laughs> it's like, that's not, that, that stuff does not happen. This is the 21st century. That's not real. Right? And these are first-hand accounts. It's very real. The darkness is real. And the battle is for the lives and the eternities of the people around us. So even if we don't even look at the darkness, if we just look at that, that alone is enough that it should make us second-guess everything and get on our knees. And so I want to be prepared. I want you to be prepared 
And so I have five questions that we need to ask ourselves. And, and when I preach, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me, and you get to listen to me kind of ramble. Because this is what God's doing in me. Am I ready? And so I have five questions that we need to ask ourselves. And number one, again, are we really ready? There's been so many times in my life where I'm like, man, I'm ready for this, I'm ready for this, I'm ready for this, and then I get out there and I'm like, I'm not even close to ready for this. But it's too late. Right? Are we really ready for this? And so I want to look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and then after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So as I read this, I feel like the first thing we have to deal with is how surrendered is my heart to God. I think often we pray, you know, God, do this thing. God, do that thing. Make this happen. Lord, would you take care of this? And in the reality, most of those things would take care of themselves if we would surrender ourselves deeper to the will of God. Right? Surrender territory. I think every one of us in our minds, we know there are things in our lives that don't line up with the kingdom of God. Right? There are those sins that we don't talk about, the things that we push in the background. Right? But all of those things keep, it's, it's like a background noise. Right? And my ears aren't very good. I've run heavy equipment and run loud machines my whole life. And so if there's background noise and I'm standing right with you and you're talking to me, I can't hear you. I'm lip reading or trying to and not very well. But that's what it becomes, right? Those sins, those things in the background become just gray noise that starts to drown out the voice of God. It makes it very hard for us to hear what God is trying to tell us. Is our heart fully surrendered to the King? Is my mind prepared for the task at hand? Right? People's lives hang in the balance. Right? Every time find out gives information to some girl and gives them hope and joy and a way out of what seems like a, a horrible situation, right? That is a battle won. Right? Even if that person chooses to go through with whatever they're choosing to go through with, they know more than they knew. They've heard the good news. They've heard that there's hope. Right? That's a win. A mind prepared for the task at hand. And then are our eyes fixed on Jesus? Right? Because when we keep our gaze on the Son of God, we won't miss out on anything. We 
won't miss an opportunity. And in the last few weeks, God has just been bringing me back to Peter and the walking on the water, back to Peter walking on the water, because it's so very poignant for today and the situation that Christians find ourselves in with our culture and society. And you know the story, right? Jesus sees, or Peter sees Jesus walking on the water, and he says, if it's you, you know, tell me to come to you which is kind of funny because whoever it was would have probably said yes anyway and watched him plunge out of the boat into the seas, right? Lucky for him, it was Jesus, and Jesus says, walk to me, right? So Peter steps out of the boat, and he's doing the impossible, right? Something that maybe has never happened ever in the history of mankind is happening right here in front of his very eyes. But what happens to him, right? He's experiencing a miracle that God himself is performing for him, right? It was for no other reason, just to edify Peter, right? So here we have Peter walking on the water, but what does he do? He starts to look around. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts to look at the problems, right? He sees the wind and the waves, and what happens? He begins to doubt. Maybe Jesus isn't enough. And what happens? He sinks. Right? And Jesus pulls him up, as he does each of us. He says, what are you doing? Why did you doubt? You had this, man. It was in the bag. Right? But he let the cares of the world, he let the dangers around him, convince him that Jesus wasn't enough to take his eyes off of the Savior. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, and so... Um, are our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? That's 1 Peter 3, 15. Oh, sorry. No, that's from there. Sorry. 1 Peter three fifteen says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And what's interesting to me here is that it isn't a theoretical idea, it's when. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone, everyone who asks you. It's assumed that everyone is going to ask you. People are going to ask you, why are you different? Right? And I think if we're not living in a way that causes people to ask us, why are you different? We're not doing it right. Right? Because Jesus had a following, not just because he was the Son of God. He had a following because he exhibited all of the good characteristics that the Word tells us we should possess. Right? People were drawn to him. Yes, because some were healed. Yes, because of the miracles. But also because Jesus was the most extraordinary human that ever lived on this planet. Like if there's a good characteristic, a good thing that you see in someone around you, it belongs to God. He gave it to them. It didn't originate with them. And so one of the things that struck me as I was reading this about shoes, when you're walking in the jungle, which I've done a fair bit of, not as much as I would have liked to, but enough to know that if you don't have the right shoes on, you're in trouble. Right? I've seen scorpions, I've seen centipedes, I've seen a myriad of snakes that could kill you as you're walking. And if you don't have the right shoes on, you're in big trouble. 
And I have been that person who came home with black toenails that fell off because my shoes didn't tighten tight enough or were too loose or were too tight. Right? The shoes are important. Make sure that our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so also through this, we depend on living water. And not water with life in it which you do find in the jungle very often. That's not what you want. Living water, right, that flows from God. That one will give you life. The other one might kill you. And then also through this, are we able to rest in God's goodness no matter what's ahead? And one of the, one of the key pieces of kit you need when you're hiking in the jungle, especially in Southeast Asia, is a hammock. And it took me a while to get comfortable sleeping in a hammock, and I finally got one that's, you sit crossways, and then it was amazing. But it has a bug net, has a rain fly, has everything all built into it, because you do not want to sleep on the ground. And even the floor in the houses aren't really much better, so you don't want to sleep there either. And on one of these trips, me and my, my crew that were hiking, um, we were taking the Jesus film around from village to village to village, showing it on a projector. And... Uh, in one of the villages, it was entirely Buddhist, right? And so they have kind of funny traditions, and they wouldn't let people tie strings inside of their house. And so, of course, all my guys took all the four posts of the house downstairs to tie their hammocks so they didn't have to sleep inside. And they decided to put me under their Buddha shrine, right? They had an animus shrine and a Buddha shrine, and I got to sleep under that. But I couldn't tie my hammock up. I had to sleep on the floor, right? Because the string thing is, is a no-go. And so I'm just so annoyed. I'm like, man, these guys are supposed to have my back, and they just threw me under the bus, man. This is uncomfortable. The whole family, this is, all their kids are sleeping over here, and it's really uncomfortable. And in the morning, I, hear, I wake up to laughter, and everybody's just dying laughing. And Sadhu is this guy that was supposed to like, be my main guy and get me through this first trip in the jungle. And everybody's just laughing and poking fun, laughing and poking fun, and I didn't know any Karen at that time. And I'm asking, I finally was like, what, what happened? What is so funny? And so they say, Sadhu got the Christmas present. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? And so finally they explain. So little kids in the Korean villages, they don't wear diapers. They don't have diapers. They don't wear anything. So they sleep on the bamboo floor, and these guys had tied their hammocks underneath. And so they don't get up and go. They just go, right? And it fell right into his hammock and filled his hammock. <laughs> So I felt like God had my back, even if they didn't have my back. God had my back, and poetic justice happened. And yeah, so they didn't do that again the next time. They let me sleep outside. But it was really funny. But that hammock, right, having the right equipment, having the right tools can keep you from bug bites, from malaria, from dengue, right, all these things. Like you're not going to find a mosquito net in the jungle. You better bring it, right? But having the right equipment, having the right stuff with you, the right tools and the abilities are very important to succeeding in this battle. Number three is, are you humble? Are you humble? God's word says that if you don't humble yourself, that God will. And so I think the better option here is for us to take the time to realize our own pride, right? Because in our pride, we can't even enter the battle. Right? We're effective soldiers for Christ when we realize, I didn't bring anything. 
I just showed up, right? God's goodness then gets imparted to me. His ability to protect the weapons that I need are given to me. But if I'm not humble, I'm not going to get there. And so as I was going through Bible college, I might have shared this before, um, there was an article that I kept hanging by my computer as I was finishing Bible college. And every time I'd just get annoyed, I would read it again and, and be encouraged because I was not a student. I'm not a student. I hate school. And I felt like a fish out of water. And I would read this story, and it, it would talk about, it was called The Ministry of Showing Up. And it was in one of the publications of one of the organizations that we work for. And, uh, and it was really encouraging, and it was just talking about, he, this is a guy that had been on one of these Alaska teams to go to Thailand and didn't feel like he had any reason to go, just wanted to experience it and trust God in it, and, and just had an amazing time and watched God use him constantly, continually use his gifts, all the tools that God had given him, because he was faithful enough to show up. And so his point was just show up, right? Trust God, stay close to him, keep your eyes fixed on him and do the best you can do, and he's going to provide the opportunities. And so as I was sharing in Friends Church after we'd been on the mission field a while, I was talking about this story. had no idea that the author of the story was in the chapel at that moment, and afterwards comes up, that was me, that was me, that's my story, right? Eric Nichols, a good friend of mine. And so the ministry of showing up, and I think we have to understand the only thing we bring to the table is a broken and dirty heart. Right? Even in our best condition, right? As Paul said, it's dirty rags. I have nothing to offer you but a broken heart and hope that you can fix it and do something good with it. Right? But we have to humble ourselves and show up. Number four, are we teachable? And I think all of us can run through our mind a scenario of people that we've met in the past who tell you all about how much they know about a subject and you actually do know and within like a few minutes you know that they don't know but then you, you humor them by listening for the next five minutes of them telling you something they don't want to think about. Right? Are we teachable? The two go together. Right? If we are not humble, we're not teachable. But if we are humble and we realize I bring nothing to the table, everything good comes from God. I'm just here to receive from him. Right? Then he fills us with the abilities, with the skills. And over the years on the mission field, like I'm not a smart guy. If you know me, you know that. But I was able to do some pretty amazing things in the jungle and it had nothing to do with me. But I realized very early on, we don't just pray to God for knowledge or wisdom about God or about the kingdom. We do that. Those are good things. But we can ask God for wisdom about earthly things, about practical things. I didn't know how to build a hydroelectric generator, but we did it. Right? But it, I get no credit because I didn't know what I was doing. I just showed up. And God gave me the ability and gave me the knowledge and the wisdom to be able to pull it off. Are we teachable? Are we fertile and tender soil where the truth has taken root and fruit starts to show? I think Scripture is very clear when it talks about knowing a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. And how do we know if they're a follower of Jesus? 
right? Especially in this day, it's not words. It's not even showing up to church or being diligent and being in church every time the doors are open. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. Right? And I know we can all think of people that we just really admire and look up to who exude the fruits of the Spirit. Right? Exude the character of Jesus. I guess one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves is, is God using me right now? Right? Because if God is not using me right now, and I don't feel like he's using me right now, why would he move me somewhere else where he cannot use me? Right? Have I surrendered myself? Am I teachable so that God can use me wherever I land? And in that faithfulness, right, in that place of trust in him, he will move me to greater and greater and more and more impact for the kingdom of God. And do we have a kingdom mindset? Right? Do we recognize that this is not my home? That heaven is my home. And I want to invest my life in this earthly realm so that my eternal life is honoring and glorifying to God. So number five, are you usable, a tool fit for the task? Have you learned to run to him in times that are tough, or do we blame him? I think that's a point of maturity, that if God is moving you to something greater, he's moving you to something that requires more faith, requires more of you, we have to recognize very clearly the way is difficult. Right? The path is narrow and it's not flat. It's treacherous. It leads to heaven because Satan will ensure that it is. Right? He doesn't want anybody getting to heaven without war scars and battle wounds. But I think if we can recognize that before we step out in faith, that we know this is going to get rough. And it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And the times when God was using me the most on the mission field were the times that Satan was dogging me, pounding me. On the first trip that I went in, the birthday present trip, um, we'd been four days walking, going village by village, and then... On the final day, we hiked up a huge hill, and we were going to go down into another village, and we did. And uh, we arrived in the village exhausted because it had been a long day just to find that the Burma army, which is the bad guys, were just on the top of the next hill. And so we were advised, do not sleep here. You need to get back up the hill. You need to go to this village over here and get to safety. And so we did. And because of that trip... Um, I didn't go to the mission. I didn't go into the jungle again for about four years because we had a 25-man security detail with us to make sure that nothing happened to these foreigners. And I was not okay with even one of those guys getting injured because I was in a place where I probably shouldn't have been. And I was brand new to the mission field. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just following the senior missionary that was there. And uh, and so I didn't go back. I prayed, just God, if you if you want me to go back, it needs to be something they need that I can do for them, and no one else can, right? Something I can't just train a Karen guy to do and send him in there because I don't want to put anybody in arm's way. And so this trip had been planned for me to install 
a hydroelectric generator for a clinic in the jungle. And uh, they couldn't do it. They didn't know how to do it. Like it fit all the criteria. And so I was like, okay, well then I'll go and just trust you. And literally for weeks, that was the demon experience. I had dogging, dogging, dogging me with dreams of me stepping on a landmine, me dying in the jungle, me getting captured and not getting to come home and my family never knowing where I had been or where I died. Or, and then it switched when I didn't buy those lies to, oh, something's going to happen to your family while you're away and it's going to be your fault because you weren't there to protect them. And it was just one after the other after the other of these things, just daytime, nighttime, it didn't matter. Satan was just on me because he didn't want me to go on that trip. Right? And the final hoorah was that demon face in my in my sleep, right, right there. And the minute that I called out Jesus' name and broke that cycle, broke that stronghold, from that moment on, nothing happened. The trip was amazing. No one was hurt. Nobody got sick, right? I had a prophetess pray over me, which I've never had happen. I had her prophesy about me, you know, and it was this amazingly edifying time that God wanted me to have, but Satan was not going to allow it to happen if he had a say. Right? This is a battle. This is not a game. And we have to be fit for battle. So who is teaching you? Right? Each one of us, we have to be being taught, not just by the Holy Spirit, not just by the Word of God, by somebody who has walked that road further than us. Right? Iron sharpens iron. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I've seen it so many times where good people who love God, who serve God, go completely off the rails. And you wonder why. And as you and other brothers in Christ try to figure out, like, where do they go wrong? Almost invariably, it's when they stopped going to church and they stopped meeting with brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? We need each other. And it doesn't have to happen in corporate worship like this. It could happen one, two, three guys getting together just to talk about their struggles. But you need somebody to tell you no. It's good for your soul. right? You need somebody who can tell you you're out of line and you're wrong. You need to pray about this. And I pray that you have somebody like that in your life because it's very easy to get sideways in the faith when you don't have somebody who is wise and who can look from the outside, looking into your situation, and say, you got it wrong. Right? And if we don't, we stand to lose everything. So we can easily get sidetracked and derailed. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, though, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And it's something I realized pretty early on on the mission field is we had a group of guys that would meet and have men's breakfast. And we would just talk about our struggles. We would just lay it out, man, like the dirty, the ugly, whatever it was, this, this side of me that is flesh that I don't like, what I'm stuck with, right? That you lay it out there and you talk about it, right? And you may not have anything to add, but you can pray for them, right? I can be prayed for and walk away going, okay, well, they know. Somebody knows. We need each other to balance out our flesh and our self-centered nature. So I want to take a look back to the five virgins again and just figure out, like, what can we learn from those foolish virgins? 
Number one, we know they didn't know the bridegroom. Right, it says, he says, I don't know you. And he doesn't open the door. And I think, have to think that knowing the parable is talking about Jesus or God, he wouldn't have cared if their lamps went out. Right? He would have just said, man, come join the party. It's fine. There's, there's plenty of light. We're good to go. Let's go enjoy life together. So why did they turn? And I had to think maybe it was pride. Right? I don't want to be that person that didn't prepare, even though you didn't prepare. I don't want to be that one that gets called out for not preparing. Right? So they leave their post. They leave the thing that is their job to do, their task, and they walk away because they got distracted by something else. And the reality was, know the bridegroom. He wants to know you. Right, the implication here is he knows the other five because they were there waiting for him and ready. They didn't really love the bridegroom or they wouldn't have missed out on that moment for the world. So the reality is they were lost before they left to go get the oil because they didn't love the bridegroom enough to forsake any shame or embarrassment or pride that I might suffer to be there in that place to enjoy with him. And I think so often we in life, me especially, have let sin drive a wedge between me and God. Right, the things I've done and I've noticed in my life from my early days on is this cycle of sin, move away from God, right? And then God uses people, uses circumstances, uses church, uses teachings, uses sermons to kind of bring me back to this place where like, you idiot. Like, he's not unaware of every thought I have. Why did I take this big, long journey to come all the way back here to just be right where I started? Right? So the thing that God has done in my life over the years is minimize that time. Right? Because I start to feel pity and I start to feel shame and embarrassment. And instead of going all the way out here like I used to, it's becoming a pretty tight circle. Right? Blew it. I'm really sorry, God. I repent. I turn from that. That's not what I want my life to be. I'm coming back around to you. Right? And the reality is that can take minutes. Right? The number of minutes it takes you to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. You knew, you knew that I'm a screw-up. You knew I'm going to blow it. That's why Jesus came. And don't waste the time it takes for you to go through the shame cycle and come all the way back around to where you were in the first place because that's where Jesus wanted you. And I was thinking this week, I was listening to a book on tape, and it was talking about just people having to admit their sins. And, and I think one of the healthiest things probably for every single human being on the earth would be if your sins were just put up on that screen and everybody's sins, not just yours, and we just were like, yep, okay, well, well, that's me. That one's me too, right? Because in that becomes healing, right? The scripture talks about when you share your weakness and your burdens with your brothers and sisters in Christ, there's freedom and healing that comes through that. Right? And you can't be proud and stand up with your chest puffed out when your sins are being played for everyone to see. And the silly thing is, the reality is, most of us can see it a mile away anyway. A lot of it, you're going, ah, 
that guy's need to do some research. Right? That's been me, a huge part of my life. Right? Thinking that you're buffaloing everyone. You're not. You're not even fooling the people around you, let alone God. Right? So I think for us, our lives hang on that balance of are we ready? Right? Do we have a cloud of witnesses around us? Right? Who can point to us? Who can encourage us? Who can call us out when necessary? Who can pray? And I think as I was walking through this process of preparing this sermon, God reminded me of something a pastor told me years ago, and I might have shared it before, about a ship. And he's like, I, you know, at the time I was just praying, God, just tell me what to do. I'll just do it. Like, just tell me. I want you to just tell me what to do, and I'll go do it. I promise. I'll just do whatever you tell me to do. But I wasn't making any progress, right? I was sitting where I was at, and I wasn't moving towards God. I was just asking God to do something. Right? And my pastor was like, okay, so you can sit in a ship that doesn't have the sails out, and you can spin that wheel back and forth trying to go somewhere, and it's never going to move. He's like, put some sails up. Even if you do the wrong thing, God can steer you towards the right thing. But he's like, but if you're sitting in one place doing nothing and no sails up, you're just going to sit. And you'll sit, and you'll ask God, and you'll ask God, and you'll ask God to do something. And he, he's, what can he do? You're not moving. Move towards Christ. Doesn't matter what it is. Just start praying. If you don't pray, pray every day. All right, God, I'm going to pray every day, and I'm going to trust that you're going to speak to me. All right? If it's God's word, start reading God's word and be like, okay, Holy Spirit, teach me the truths of God because I want to move. I want to be used by the kingdom. Right? If we don't do those things, we will waste this life. And we will miss the call that God put on each one of us. Go make disciples. Right? Of all the nations, but also this one. Right? The people around you. And maybe you're a person who's never made that decision. Maybe you haven't chosen to follow Jesus. And if that's you, there are people that can pray for you, but I would encourage you, don't leave the building. Please don't leave the building without making a move towards God. Right? He stands at the door and he knocks. On every heart, not just some. On every heart. And he asks, let me in. I want to help you. I want to give you hope. And don't wait. I want to share with you a story um, of some friends of ours. Um, Partly just to ask you to pray for them, but partly as a, an encouragement not to wait. And we have some good friends in Thailand that were a part of our house church, and he, we split speaking duties every Sunday. And he's, they're Bible teachers uh, to a bunch of Korean kids. And they were celebrating their anniversary in Kanchanaburi, Thailand. And they're avid cyclists, and so they brought their bicycles and were riding, and, and Joe didn't want to ride Joe and Marnie are their names. And Joe didn't want to ride, but Marnie insisted, like, no, Joe, we got to do it. And, uh, and so they went riding. It was last Saturday morning, I believe. And on the ride, Joe made a U-turn to start back to their hotel. And as Marnie was making the U-turn, a truck speeding down the road took her out. And she's with Jesus right now. It can happen that fast. 
She didn't get out of bed that morning and go, man, I wonder if I'm going to meet Jesus today. She didn't think that. She got up and thought, it's just another day. Let's go for a bike ride. Right? They've been best friends and high school sweethearts since 13 years old. Inseparable. And sometimes I don't understand God's ways, but I've learned to trust that they're good. That when I don't understand... It's me who's the problem. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, don't wait. We have a loving God who has given literally everything, including his own son, to prove to each one of us how very dear we are to his heart. Right? Maybe you're worried, man, I'm a, you don't know the sins I've done. You don't know me. He does. And in spite of those sins, no matter how bad they are, He still offers forgiveness. He offers hope. And an eternity spent with Him, being loved on and loving the Creator of the universe. Are we ready? Are we ready to meet Him? Are we ready to take that next step of faith? And God has shown me over the years, faith is a muscle. It's not a thought. It's not a belief. Faith is a muscle that you prove is real by using it. Right? By stepping out in a place where you go, man, God, if you don't show up, I'm done. And then every time we do that, that muscle grows. Every time we do that, our faith gets bigger and stronger and our trust in God becomes more rock solid. And at some point, we realize, what can the world do to me? There is no dangerous place. There is no country that's closed that's off limits to me because my God, my Father, is the God of the universe. And that's what he calls us to, a life of radical faith. So the big idea today is, are you ready for what God has next? Can I pray for us? Father God, we just come to you in our weakness. Lord, broken vessels that the world would throw into the trash heap but not you. Lord, you pull us out. You fill those cracks with gold, with precious things, because you love us dearly. Father God, I pray for every single person in this room that your Holy Spirit would minister and fill and encourage. Father God, if there's a person here who doesn't know you, beat on that door. Don't let them walk out of this room without meeting you face to face. Like I just pray that each of us as we go through this week that we would learn to trust you. We would put ourselves, we would talk to that coworker, we would do these things that we think are impossible and trust that you're going to show up. Trust that your Holy Spirit's going to teach us what to say. 
Lord, we just thank you for your goodness, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.